First John chapter 5, if you'll turn there. There's a hundred promises on the back of your handouts today. If you look through that list and ask yourself the question, um, how is my life affected negatively when I don't trust some of these promises? And how would my life be different if I completely trusted that all of these promises were true? Wouldn't our lives be drastically different? And so 1 John 5 verse 1 says, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Ephesians 2.8 says this, By grace you've been saved through faith. So that, that phrase is that it's by God's grace, meaning undeserved gift of God, you have been saved through faith. So here's how you're saved. The Bible says in Romans 3.23 that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That Romans 5 teaches us that because of Adam's sin, that sin has passed on to every human being and that we have all have sin. The Bible says if you say you have no sin, that you are a liar. The truth is not in you. All right? So all of us would agree that we are sinners. And as sinners, we are not qualified or righteous enough to spend eternity with a holy God. So the Bible says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin or the payment for that sin is death. That that is the payment, separation from God forever, because sin and God cannot be in the same eternity. So the wages of sin is separation from God. But Romans 5.8 says that God demonstrated his love towards us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we've all sinned. The payment for sin is death. Jesus died on the cross to pay that penalty for us. And the Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth that he's Lord and believe in your heart that he's risen from the dead, you will be saved. The Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. So that is the gospel. That is the good news. The bad news is we're all sinners. The good news is Jesus died for those sins on the cross. And if you trust in him, your sins are washed away by the blood of Christ. The only thing that keeps you from salvation is if you don't believe the gospel. If you don't trust in what Jesus Christ has said. Uh, The Philippian jailer came to Paul in jail and said, What must I do to be saved? In Acts 16.31, the answer was very simple. What was it? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So as I tell you the story of the gospel, you either believe it or you don't. It's either the truth or it's a fairy tale. It's either the way, the truth, and the life, or it is a lie of man so I can collect offerings and put money in my pocket. How do you see it? What do you believe? When I tell you and share with you what the Bible says is the way of salvation, do you respond to it with 
yes, praise God for saving my soul? Or do you respond to it with, oh, I've heard this a thousand times. I still don't buy it. Well, let's read Ephesians 2, 8 again. It says, by grace, you've been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. So let's pray as we start. Heavenly Father, as we start this little message on faith and and the importance of it, that, Lord, we understand that it is a gift that comes from you. And, Lord, if there are anyone in here who's struggling with the basic trust in the gospel, Lord, the eternal destiny rests on this. So, Heavenly Father, they cannot garner this faith on their own. It must be given to them by you. I pray, Lord, that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God and that through the message today, the verses that are read, that faith will come to anyone here who doesn't have it. Lord, for those of us who know you as our Lord and Savior, God, we have trouble trusting some of these promises sometimes. And Lord, help us and give us this faith that will help us walk through this life a more confident, a more... Uh, at ease and more uh, joyful in Jesus name amen first john 5 verse 1 whoever believes that Christ is Jesus the Christ is born of God we've covered that everyone who loves him who begot also loves him who is begotten of him so loving God will transfer very simply into loving God's children. Those who are born again, those who have been begotten by him. Verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. Please, let's talk about this for just a second. If you picture the Christian life as being burdensome, then you are missing something greatly important. The Bible says, Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, we are yoked with God. That should make your life easier. And yet the world would teach you that it is harder. I had one of the kids in class the other day ask this. We were talking about a person who gave his life to Christ on his deathbed. And it was a very typical response for a 6th or 7th grader. And they said, well, that's not fair. And I said, well, tell me why it's not fair. And he knew he was caught. Because how are you going to answer that question? You know what he's thinking. He didn't have to go to church and sit through these boring Bible classes that whole time. And he got to go to heaven anyway. He got to do whatever he wanted and still got to heaven. That doesn't seem fair. I got to go to church every Sunday. My mom drags me like this. And I said to him, I said, you're right. It's not fair. It is not fair that he missed an entire lifetime of a relationship with Christ how much more fortunate you are to have Jesus as a junior hire and know you'll be with him your whole life. And he just looked at me and he went, nothing. He didn't say a word. 
But isn't that the truth? The truth is that Christ's burden is easy. The Bible says in John 10.10 that I come to give you life and to give it to you what? More abundantly. And I will tell you, all. and I discovered this, I knew it, and I rediscovered this fact that every single chapter and verse in the Bible is about Christ. And every single story, chapter, historical part of the Bible is those who trust him are blessed and those who don't get in trouble. It's just simple as that. And if you love God, you will absolutely keep his commandments. Why? Because you're going to recognize that it is the key to joy and peace and happiness. They're not burdensome. It's a blessing. It's an absolute blessing. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 14. We've shared a lot of verses about salvation this morning. Now we're going to be focused on those who do believe changing that burdensome life and removing that. In John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus says, very simple, If you love me, keep my commandments. Look at verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John chapter 15, verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. It's very simple. Doing things for somebody is a sign and symbol and evidence of your love relationships if you're married this morning you want to do whatever you can for your wife and for your children whatever they need because it is a a a, a, a lovely thing to minister and serve and help those who you love so God says you say you love me but you don't do anything I say to do how is that showing love for God to love the world he gave his only begotten son Jesus demonstrates his love towards us by dying for us. And we say, ah, thanks, but I, I got no time for you. I'm really busy. It doesn't show love. Love is not a burdensome task. It's not burdensome for me to do things for Liz. I want her to know how much I love her. And so that should produce some actions, shouldn't it? Love is an action word. It's a verb. We, we've created it to be a feeling, an emotion. But when you love something, you do something for that person. It's just a natural response. Turn to Luke chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 46. Luke 6.46 Jesus asked a very important question. Why do you call me Lord and not do the things that I say? Doesn't that make sense? What does the word Lord mean? Master. 
The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart he's risen from the dead, you will be saved. Paul told the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. If Jesus Christ is not your Lord, he is not your Savior. Are you with me? If Jesus Christ is not your Lord, he is not your Savior. You can't have one without the other. And a lot of people want Jesus to save them from hell then leave them alone because they just want to go live their life. It does not work that way. Once you recognize that Jesus Christ is the Lord of the universe, the master of the universe, you are saying to God, God, thank you for saving my soul. I love you. What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to tell? I love you. You're my entire life. And Jesus says, you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things that I say. If he's master, then you are the servants, aren't you? And so you're lying to him and say, oh, Lord, what do you want me to do? I just want you to be kind to your neighbor. Oh, boy, no. Have you met my neighbor? Excuse, I'm sorry, Lord. Something else. That task is too difficult. Well, then I'm not your Lord because you're the Lord. If you are saying no to God and picking and choosing what you're going to do and not going to do for God, then who's running the show? You are. And if you're running the show, then you're the Lord. It doesn't work that way. And when you run the show, by the way, that's when the burdens come. The burdens are heavy when you try to face this world without the help of God. It just doesn't work. But when you look at those promises and you say, okay, if I really trusted these hundred promises, and by the way, there's many more, the burden would be lifted. The yoke would be easy. His commandments are not burdensome. They're all meant to help you. They're all meant to make your life more joyful, more peaceful, and more hopeful. But we don't trust them. This is in Acts 11, I think, when, when Jesus went to raise Lazarus from the dead. And he kept telling them, I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. I'm going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Told them four different times. And four different times they didn't believe him. So what was the response of the people? They cried. And they blamed God. And they were depressed. And they were angry. And Jesus wept. Why did he weep? Because they wouldn't believe him. And they, he went to make their, their yoke easy, or their burden light, because they didn't trust in him. They suffered, and that's us. We are suffering when we don't need to be suffering if we would just trust in him. If, how many of you have food in your refrigerator and your cupboards at home right now? How many of you have spent time worrying about where, how you're going to buy food? at some time in your life. My problem isn't not eating. My problem is the opposite, amen? <laughs> There's too much food in my refrigerator in my cupboard. And yet I still, oh, these bills, how are we going to get them paid? And yet God told me a long time ago that he would supply all of my needs and that his children would never be begging bread and that he would supply everything I needed. And he's done that. There was some unnecessary worrying at times in my life. 
Would you agree? Does it remain? It does. So trusting in God removes the burdens. And they're easy. Turn, if you will, to James chapter 1. And I'm going to... There's some verses I really want to get to, and I'm going to go a little quicker. But James chapter 1, verse 22. This is my personally life's verse. James 1.22 says, Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. And that's really what this message is all about from God today. You can hear this messages every Sunday, but if you don't believe them, and you don't apply them to your life, they absolutely do you no good. They do you no good. Verse 23 of James 1 says, Look at if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in the mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. The Bible's like a mirror. And it reflects flaws in us. It reflects things that we need to fix and change. You get up in the morning and you look in the mirror and you do some combing. You do some brushing, you do some cleaning, you got those things in the corner of your eyes you got to get out, and you do all those little things that you got to do to make yourself presentable to the world. The same thing with the Bible. It reflects upon the things that you're struggling with and that will encourage you. But if you go and get up and you look at the mirror and then you walk away, have you ever had something maybe something stuck in your teeth and you went the whole day and didn't notice it? And you wonder why your friends didn't say something? That's what the mirror's for. But someone who goes to church and then walks out without, without applying any of it to your life, it's like looking in a mirror and not combing your hair, not brushing your teeth. The purpose of the mirror is to show the flaws and then we fix those flaws. Verse 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. It is Satan that lies to you. Don't you understand that the Bible teaches that you are slaves to sin, but the world teaches you that Christianity is burdensome and slavery. And okay, I'll give my life to Jesus and I'll put on that ball and chain that is Christianity and I'll walk through my life hoping I get to heaven if I do things I'm supposed to do in this burdensome thing called religion. That's not what the Bible teaches. It's the opposite. It is sin that addicts you. People get addicted to alcohol, pornography, drugs. They don't get per, uh, uh, addicted to broccoli. And it's, oh, I just can't stop thanking people and being nice to them. i, I got to get over this. Every time I just want to be nice to people all day. No, I have a trouble. I won't stop thinking those bad thoughts about people who cut me off. It's sin that is addictive. It's a blessing to follow God. Look at verse 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless, pure, and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. This is religion. Religion isn't 
doing things because if you've got to do this to get to heaven and you've got to work to keep your salvation, religion is being kind to those in need and not letting the world rule over you and rob you of your joy through sin. That's pure relationship with Jesus Christ. But you have to trust Him. If you don't trust Him, then you fall in to and become overcome by the world. Let me show you this in action. Turn, if you will, to First Second Samuel chapter twenty-three. Second Samuel twenty-three. This is so great. This is amazing. It is a picture of how to serve God. And if you're not serving God in the way these verses say, you're missing out on a lot of blessings. So in 2 Samuel 23, we're going to look at verse number uh, uh, 8. It says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. So David is running from Saul. He's up in a cave and he's got these mighty men with him. There's three of them. Look at verse 13. Then three of the 30 chief men who went at harvest time came to David at the cave of Adullam and the troop of the Philistines encamped in the valley of Rephaim. So they're up in this cave and down in the valley are all of the enemies, the Philistines. David was then in the stronghold and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with a longing, oh, verse 15, that someone would give me a drink from the water that is from the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. What David was saying was not so much that he was thirsty, but he was homesick. You ever get homesick for mom's cooking? You ever get homesick for for something of your childhood that you miss? He was on the run, forced out of his home. And the, the Philistines had taken it over. And he looked across from this cave and he said, Oh, I really miss the water from that well. Oh man, I'm really longing for that water. Look at verse 16. So the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate, and took it and brought it to David. That's the way God wants us to serve him. They heard him longing, and they said, Master, you got it. You want water? We're going to get you water. And they broke through the Philistines. They got water. I imagine they had to break through back without spilling the water. I don't know how they did that, but they were fighting all the way through. And they got all the way back and said, Sir, there, you said you were thirsty. We got you that water you wanted. And David, nevertheless, would not drink it, but poured it out. David takes the water and says, I can't drink this water. For, I read that 20 years ago and it just bothered me so much. He is not very thankful. <laughs> that seems kind of rude. And I always imagine these men going, would you like another cup? Because David says in verse 17, Far be it from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not 
Is, it, is this not the blood of the men who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. These things were done by these three mighty men. David said, I had no idea that you were so dedicated to me. I can't, I'm, I'm not worthy to drink this water. You risked your lives for me. I can't, I can't accept it. And I remember when I first heard this story, I actually said a little prayer. I, I want you to know, I do not live by this prayer. But this is what I prayed. I prayed, God, I will do whatever you ask me to do, even if you pour every single thing I do to the ground and do nothing with it. If I get not one thank you, not one pat on the back, not one encouragement, or make one dollar, I'm going to still do what you tell me to do. I would love to tell you that that's how I've lived my life, but I would be lying to you because I'm just like you. Can't even believe they didn't thank me. Can't even believe they didn't say anything. That's all I got paid for doing that wedding. That's all I got paid for doing. That's all I did. Boy, people don't really. People didn't even say. Th- terrible. It's a terrible attitude. Because we're not serving you. We're serving God. And God says, I want you to do this. You go do it. You bring it to him. And if he pours it out, you say, God, can want me to do that again? I'll do anything for you. Why? Why did they do this for David? If they would have stayed with King Saul, they wouldn't have been running for their lives. Why did they follow David? They loved him. They loved God. And they knew this was God's man. That's what God means when he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll do what I say. Not because God's not saying, all right, I'm only going to love you when you're doing what you're supposed to do. That's conditional love. This is us towards God. That our look at God has already loves us. He's done it. What's the greatest act of love you can do? Lay down your life. He's already done that. He's just saying to us, "This is a measurement of your love. How much are you doing for Him? How much are we doing for Him?" His yoke is easy. His burden is light. So then He says the really key verse. Let's go back to First John and we'll close up with a couple of verses. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, our faith. So God says, look, if you trust me, I'll remove those burdens. And if you trust me, man, you can overcome this world. What does it mean to overcome the world? Well, what is, what is the fruit of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace. How is that in your life? How's, how are you doing in those three areas of your life? Faith in God overcomes what the world is bringing to you, which is the opposite. You notice people a little bit stressed these days? You notice a little bit of anger in our culture today? You notice some confusion and burdens? What percentage of people do you know are carrying heavy burdens? It's rather high. Christ says faith and trust in me, trusting in my promises is what overcomes that pressure that comes from life. Verse 5 says, Who is he who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Do you truly believe that you have 
a Lord of the universe on the throne in heaven, sitting at the right hand of God making intercession for you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that there's not going to be one person elected to the White House of the United States unless God wants him in that White House? Do you truly believe that? If we do, we would take a breath in the year 2020. It's going to be a hairy one, amen? It's going to be crazy, and it's going to anger you. But someone's going to get in that White House, and we have no idea who it is, but God has already planned it to be for his will, for his purpose, either for blessing or judgment. But you're solid in the hand of Christ, amen? No one will pluck you out, and you are his child and nothing will stop that the bible says in romans eight thirty seven, we are more than conquerors it's amazing that uh, uh silas read the verse this morning what can separate you from the love of god nothing so let's close with luke chapter 8 faith is the victory In Luke chapter 8, and this this I got from Larry a couple weeks ago, him and I were talking. In Luke chapter 8, it is the parable of the seeds that are sown in the four different areas of the ground. And the seeds represent the word of God, the gospel that goes out. And the ground is you. And in verse 14 of Luke 8, there are ones that fell among the thorns. Those are who, when they heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life. Matthew says the pleasures of the world. And bring no fruit to maturity. So I just want to ask you, we can praise God here where we can sing songs and we can clap and we can pat each other on the back, but when you get out there, isn't it completely different? And when you get out there and you say praise God, people don't say praise God with you. If you go out there and say God is good, and then someone says to you all the time, God is good, you won't get that in the world. And so if you go out there and you think, how many of you ever left a church service just on fire for God and by Tuesday it was gone? Because you went to work on Monday and the world choked it out of you. But look what it says. Not only does the burdens of the world, but the riches of the world, the cares of the world, and the pleasures of life. Those three things. Either you're a workaholic because it's all about money, or you just want to Netflix all day and you don't have time for God because entertainment is, the Bible says in the last days people will love uh, pleasure more than they love God, or that you're just so burdened because of the things you're going through. It's three different areas. Satan doesn't care which one draws you away from God. And what happens is the word is, oh, I really want to follow God. I really want to. I've been trying. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get back in church. I'm really trying to get my life together. But man, then I go to work and my boss gets on me and I got bills to pay and God just becomes so distant and he's not there anymore. And there's a hundred promises that you say, uh-uh, they do not apply to me. And that's why you choke on the cares of the world. But if you trust God, 
Faith is the victory that what? Overcomes those things in the world. But we are choked by it. Not my words, God's word. But the one that fell on good ground are those who having heard the word with a noble and good heart keep it and bear fruit with patience. Verse 18, Therefore take heed how you hear. That's what Larry pointed out. You've heard it. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But if you are a hearer and not a doer, then you will leave and be choked by the world, whether it's the pleasures of the world, whether it's the cares of the world, or whether it's making money in this world, God becomes distant to you, and you live a life that is burdensome. God is here to remove those burdens. Your responsibility is to trust Him. And there's nothing more we can do except tell you to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not in your own understandings, Proverbs 3, 5. So here's what I'd like you to do. I cannot tell you to just go out and trust the Lord because it doesn't work that way. What you need to do is go to God and say, God, I am struggling trusting you. Would you please give me the gift of faith because I'm struggling with it? It is God that will give it to you. It will God that will strengthen it. If you think you can just somehow produce it on your own, then you're being the Lord again. Do you see how that works? All right? We're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God. Heavenly Father, uh, Lord, I should, sure could use a measure of faith. Lord, I could surely use encouragement. I know that, Lord, you tell us that, that if we're faithful in just the little things, that you'll make us uh, strong and, and, and more. So, Heavenly Father, as we come to you, Lord, let us just take a time of prayer time of talking to you individually about where we stand with you. Lord, only you know where the hearts of, of your children are. Only you know those who in this room are your children. So, Heavenly Father, with no fanfare, no emotional responses, no trying to manipulate the situation, God, increase our faith. We need you. Increase it, Lord, in this difficult time. And, Lord, if anyone here does not know you, may you give them restful nights and and not peace until they know for sure that you are the Savior of the world and the Lord of the universe. In Jesus' name, we praise you and thank you. Amen. We are not going to sing. We're just going to go and, and you either trust this or you don't. Amen? All right. So have a great day. Remember, uh, Grand Prix tonight, 5 o'clock. I encourage you all to come. Thank you.